My father's hometown is a small Purok in Surigao del Sur, a two-hour plane ride and four-hour drive away from Metro Manila. That's some six hours total between us and part of our family history. My sister and I grew up in Manila without learning how to speak Kamayo or Bisaya. And it always felt like we were tourists in a place that we were supposed to know. We stay for a few days, a week at most, we eat their food, and then we go. Once the unforgiving Pasay traffic welcomes us back from the airport, the experience dissolves into memory, and memory is overtaken by daily worries. School, work, bills. Maybe in this sense, we have no real established relationships with our own family, save the vague if not imposing obligation of blood relatives. We are as foreign to them as any other Tagalog. It's the stories that have kept them familiar. Often, they're about the women. I'm not sure if it has something to do with the telenovela-esque fixation on female leads, but the stories I have been told growing up revolve around the romantic adventures of one aunt or other. The stories about the women in my family have been told so many times, they have become part fiction, part truth. They are stories that have been passed on by relatives from their first arrival in the city, echoed into the following generations, so that if only through these narratives we stay connected. I had taken them for granted until I needed to use them as a guide for my own confused growth into womanhood. It was only then that I was compelled to find out more about my family, and only then that I saw myself not listening to a story, but living it. I attempt to retell some of their stories here as a form of assimilating into the long line of women who have woven their lives alongside each other. The first story is about Tita Nita. I had been told that Tita Nita used to be one of the best divers in Tidman. They called her a mermaid. She met her husband, a fisherman, at a dance party. Everybody was talking about Tita Baby, the town beauty, but nobody noticed the wallflower sitting on the bleachers until he came along. <clears throat> Hello, he'd said. A charmer, Nita thought, given that there weren't that many suitors to choose from. Hello to you too, she responded, whether shyly or coldly was difficult to tell by the tone of her voice. Shouldn't you be trying to get a dance with Baby? I should, the charmer, whose name was Unod, Nita would later learn, sighed but turned back to her. But it seems that she's very busy right now. She wasn't sure if it was the black night and the dulled light falling against Unod's face, or whether it was that his polo was better fitting than most others. But Nita felt that he was not unhandsome. She moved to the side to indicate that he could sit beside her. So we're just two people who looked out at the stands then, she said. We don't have to be. He was grinning at her mischievously, and she couldn't help but return with a small smile. That same night, a fight broke out between two of Tita Baby's suitors, and the mermaid and the fisherman escaped to the beach, away from the crowd. Tita Nita's mother was against the relationship at first. Santissima Nita, what are you thinking? He doesn't have property, the old woman badgered. Tita Nita was expected to follow her mother's advice. She was, after all, a soft-hearted girl with a small voice. It was thus a scandal when people found out that Tita Nita and her then-lover 
eloped to a house on stilts at the edge of the ocean. No, mother, she allegedly said, I do love him. This was a statement in itself for a woman of so little words. Dumbstruck, Tita Nita's mother could do nothing to stop them. They lived for many happy days until Unod died of complications with his kidneys. That was when Tita Nita learned how to weep and pray the novena. Suddenly, she was no longer the best swimmer in the Purok, but a widow. The rest of her life became years of barren waiting for a husband who would never come home. She moved back from their house at the edge of the ocean to the town. During funerals, relatives would call her to sing the prayers, and in a mournful tone only she could ever reach, she would sing. In 2010, they amputated Tita Nita's left leg due to diabetes, and then her right. She was told it was the only way. This was the one time she didn't cry. Even after the operation, she was called to masses to sing the psalms. She would be placed on a borrowed wheelchair and brought to the church, which had become a second home to her. My parents tell me and my sister not to be like Tita Nita. We must be strong and smart and vibrant and good. Strong women do not cry, smart women do not marry fools, and vibrant women always smile. Good women close their legs when they sit, especially in front of strangers. It is unbecoming of women to show too much of themselves to others. We must keep ourselves interesting, but not too invested. I wonder now if it is like that for other girls whether they also grow up not wanting to be like a certain woman in their life. Their stories are told in the same tone as the horrors used to keep children away from staying out after dark. My Tita Nita is not alone in this. The women in our family appear to have been beset with the narrative of suffering, especially in matters of the heart. It is the song that they have been taught since young, which relatives who move away from the province try to change for their own daughters. After her husband died, my Tita Endat learned to smile again. Tita Endat, who was quick to tears from years in an unhappy marriage, began to go to town parties with her friends. Tita Endat was the youngest of my father's half-siblings, but she was married before I got to know her. Unlike her sisters, there are no photographs of her in her girlhood. They are all family photos with the six children and the husband. My two other aunts, both unmarried, often tell me and my sister that life is tougher for an old maid. You will get lonely, they said. You must find a man, any man, or you will get lonely. My sister and I didn't visit often. When we did visit, Tita and Dad was only a shadow, silently bustling in the kitchen or elsewhere. But the lack of conversation may partially be because of the language barrier and our own awkwardness. During visits, our aunts would bring us around and reintroduce us to relatives. But Tita and Dad always stayed indoors. She was, to me, for many years a ghost, an occasional topic of a phone conversation overheard at home. I had difficulty remembering her face. I only began to remember her after we visited for the wake of another uncle, my father's older brother. She was a small woman who was so thin her deep-set eyes sunk even deeper into their sockets. My first impression of her was that she wept often, which is common to the women in our family. The sadness is inherited. 
whether through our genes or through the situations we find ourselves in. It seems that sorrow is the best way to speak without getting reprimanded. It is a soft emotion, but one which draws attention to itself. I later learned that Tita and Dad had been forced into the marriage by my grandfather, who believed the suitor had land and livestock. The man had lied, but when the lie was discovered, it was too late. Tita and Dad wept during the first year of their marriage. From the second anniversary onward, she said that she loved him, because that's what wives do. She did not smile all those years. Since the last family visit, we haven't heard any news from my aunt, but when we left, she was with a group of other women to go to a dance in the barangay gym. She remained small and frail and silent, but I would like to believe that my aunt had learned how to dance again. They say it was Tita Cecil's softness that drove my uncle away. Like the long-suffering heroine of a romance novel, she bore the burden of waiting for him to come home from his mistress and taking care of their child, who would grow up to be a wayward son. She went through life with her many ailments, and although she earned her degree in accountancy, she opted to stay at home in fear of people. In many ways, I sympathized with Tita Cecil, though she was only an occasional memory. After my uncle died, we saw less of her. She couldn't claim the lot of land her husband had left her as the legal wife because his mistress was more assertive. She had no money for a lawyer and no money to travel from Cebu to Surigao. Although they blamed Tita Cecil for her fate, I would like to believe my Tita Cecil's true misfortunes began when she met my uncle. My uncle was a golden boy for many years. He was my grandfather's favorite son because he was both good in the fields and in fishing. He was excellent at maneuvering his boat in high waters that they called him lapai, after a type of fish. He was good with his hands, which was why he began to work as soon as he could. He was a car mechanic in Talisay when he met Tita Cecil. She was a pretty kolhiyala standing outside the Sarisari store where he often got his soft drinks. And who was that pretty one? My uncle would ask the Sarisari store owner. Oh, Cecil, the lady would reply, always with her head in the clouds. Cecil, my uncle called out. He waved when she turned to him. Perplexed, Tita Cecil snapped back. Do I know you? No, my uncle said, but I would like to know you. How suave, Tita Cecil chided. You think that's enough to get me to like you? Yes, my uncle gambled. I wish at that point that Tita Cecil had said something along the lines of, Then you are sorely mistaken, or dream on. But the thing about being young is that you are susceptible to fall in love too quickly, and that's what happened between my uncle and Tita Cecil. Their relationship went on from that point, and in a rush, they were married, happily for a few years, until his philandering came to light. One day, he decided to move back to Surigao and never returned to Cebu. Tita Cecil stayed silent the entire time. She wept and hid behind her books, but she didn't try to stop him. Everyone blamed her for what happened, and soon the years took their toll on her. Tita Cecil became a pining wraith. The sorrow took away her youth and her beauty and her competence. She stayed with her son, 
never forgave my uncle for leaving them. Perhaps Tita Cecil thought letting my uncle go would make him realize the worth of what he was leaving behind, as often happens in the dramatic montage of a romance novel or telenovela. I am writing the story in Manila. Whenever I ask my aunts and my father to tell me more about their hometown, they laugh and say, the stories are only partly true. Some of it has been lost in memory, and some of it is better off untold. I ask for the more accurate accounts, but these are what they can remember. Perhaps there are parts of family history I will always be an outsider to, because of where I was born. The stories that reach me have been curated to fit well with our city-dwelling imagination. They are immortalized but not set in any particular time, fit always to be told, packaged to be passed on to listeners whose shores are more distant than theirs. The stories of the women, in particular, become material for cautionary tales if they stay and success stories if they leave. This must be why their daughters run away to the city to become new women, better women. It seemed pointless to stay anyway if they didn't want to end up like their mothers. But as I grew older, I saw that these women were also the ones who raised their children when the men disappeared, when their husbands went out to work and never came home. And even when the children left and left the house empty, they stayed on. I used to view it as a form of entrapment within the domestic, an inability to create new meaning in the outside world. But it takes a different kind of strength, I realize, to rebuild and restructure a site of grief. The resolve to keep going is not found through a loud aggression, a rah-rah energy so often advertised in mainstream motivational films, but rather by a rarely acknowledged firmness and resilience that only those who speak through sorrow know well. Perhaps their narratives had never been tied to their men. <laughs>